COVID-19, ET3, PPE, funding and civil unrest, all discussed at the federal level last week. I'm Rob Lawrence and this is the MS One Stop. I'm not sure when you're going to be listening to this, so in the words of Dr. Tedros himself, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and uh, welcome to this narration of my EMS one-stop column. The Federal Interagency Committee on Emergency Medical Services, FICOMS, was established by Congress in 2005 to ensure coordination amongst federal agencies supporting regional, state, tribal, and territorial EMS and 911 systems. FICOMS was also created to improve the delivery of EMS throughout the nation with the Departments of Defence, Health, Homeland Security, Transport, in other words the Office of EMS, and the Federal Communications Commission represented as members. FICOM met recently for the first time in 2020, and since their last meeting, a lot of water and pandemic and unrest has passed under our bridge. Today's EMS one-stop column provides an update on what the folk at FICOMS are saying about some of the most important EMS activities, policies and events across the nation. As I've already hinted at, the agenda provided briefings on strategic direction, ET3, COVID-19, as well as an address by James Owen, NHTSA's Deputy Administrator and FICOMS Chair, who began by saying, the past few months have been perhaps some of the most difficult times our EMS community has ever faced. But you have risen to the challenge, and then some. The selflessness, dedication, resiliency of our nation's EMS personnel are humbling, and our nation thanks you. We want you to know that your voices are heard, and we are working to ensure the safety and resiliency of EMS professionals. We remain committed to supporting our stakeholders and partners as we navigate this unprecedented event. So here are my five takeaways from the FICOMS meeting. First up, COVID-19 and proving the ET3 model. Janelle Gingold, the Director of the Division of Health Integration and our very good friend Brenda Staffan, Team Advisor for the Centre for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, provided an update on the Emergency Triage Treat and Transport model, our good friend ET3. CMMI houses the ET3 model as part of the Prevention Population Health Models Group. As we are aware, the ET3 model includes three interventions that will provide additional services to Medicare beneficiaries and additional patients. And as we know, it's the alternative destination transport, the treatment in place, in person or via telehealth, and the medical triage line. As we know, ET3 was formally paused with the arrival of the pandemic. Director Gold reported that the arrival of COVID-19 caused an operational pause in the ET3 rollout, and it may restart again later in the year. The pandemic has caused us to deliver many aspects of ET3, so perhaps we can either immediately adopt the programme or change the pilot based on what we have learnt. Janelle Gingold noted that in April we announced the delay of the model and that we are currently assessing the model, especially considering the flexibilities made available under the public health emergency, which we are aware may still be in effect in the fall, 
and we are working on additional implementation and operationalization of different model elements in the meantime. Could this perhaps be affirmation that, as we have been delivering the ET3 concept to fight COVID-19, so we have indeed proven the concept? To my mind, the pandemic has certainly disrupted the original model, proven the theory, and perhaps we can now roll out reimbursement for all, not just the appointed test sites. Let's hope so, as I suspect it will be difficult to try and stuff this now-proven healthcare delivery genie back into the bottle. Only time will tell. Next up, Ficums discussed the response to civil unrest. Director of the NHTSA Office of EMS, Dr John Cromer, discussed the current civil unrest and highlighted EMS experiences. He reported that both the Office of EMS and the US Fire Administration have prepared a brief document to reinforce preparations for personnel, stations, equipment, apparatus and the community for emergency response considerations during civil unrest. The documents themselves feature sections on mitigation of occupational violence to firefighters and EMS responders, the preparation for civil unrest, which describes the current state of fire and EMS civil unrest preparedness activities, and guidance to assist with preparing standard operational procedures that establish a standardised approach to the safety of personnel at incidents that involve violence, unrest or civil disturbance. Dr Cromer reviewed the EMS response to the pandemic at the federal level, including the formation of the Healthcare Resiliency Task Force and its subordinate group, the EMS Pre-Hospital Working Group, of which I'm honoured to be a member representing the American Ambulance Association. That was established to address EMS and 911 issues. The Pre-Hospital Group has been working throughout the response and has developed several documents and resources that have been distributed to the EMS community via the website EMS.gov. Next up, substandard and counterfeit PPE. Dwayne Caneva, MD, who is the Chief Medical Officer of the DHS, discussed substandard and counterfeit PPE and the investigative work of Operation Stolen Promise, which has been working with interagency, state, local and industry partners to look at concerns on substandard and counterfeit PPE. Operation Stolen Promise is looking at manufacturers and vendors importing counterfeit PPE or substandard PPE that is not manufactured to standards. Caneva reported that many agencies, including CDC, NIOSH and the National Personal Protective Technology Laboratory, are looking at ways to validate PPE entering the country to ensure it complies. Dr. Caneva said they're routinely finding that 60% of PPE does not, and we've spoken to other industry experts who estimate that up to 90% of the PPE that's coming in through sort of not secure federal government sources may be substandard or counterfeit, and we're trying to understand the scope and scale of the problem. 90% of the PPE. Wow. The issue for many EMS organisations comes back to supply chain and PPE issue priority. Organisations, particularly in the private sector, are still doing all it takes to acquire equipment to protect staff and need to step outside the normal channels to at least get some PPE. But, as Caneva notes, it's a risky business and definitely a case of buyer beware. The public comment period saw several important issues raised. American Ambulance Association President Aaron Reinert posed the important question of PPE and the place of EMS on the national priority list. Reinert noted that first responders remained third on the priority list for PPE and that many localities were unable to acquire PPE to meet current needs, let alone future waves. 
The response identified that PPE has been challenging to address throughout the public health emergency and early on in the pandemic, hospital providers were prioritised. Subsequently, it's been possible to get first responders included in and moved up the priority list. And my postscript here is we moved from fifth to third, but we're still not at the top. Dr. Cromer actually noted that it's unfortunate that we're in a situation where we have to do prioritisation and do allocation. Everybody that we engage with realises the critical role that first responders play and the importance of the need for them to continue to respond. He explained that when faced with a limited supply, the risk assessment identified that there is a little bit higher risk for those that are currently providing care in hospitals and nursing homes. EMS resides, as I said, in third place on the PPE priority list, and this does not sit well with many as the challenge of responding to a call or into a household where there is little choice but to assume the patient is COVID-19 positive until proven otherwise accelerates the consumption rate of an agency. This situation is less than optimal or acceptable, and more must be done both inside government and by us on the outside to rectify this situation. My fifth briefing point is on EMS funding advocacy. Dave Mitchell, president of the International Association of EMS Chiefs, asked if there was an opportunity to continue to explore and advocate for the funding of EMS systems by ways other than the old mechanism of transporting, then billing. Dr. Cromer responded that there are opportunities to look at additional funding and additional funding needs, and that much discussion has taken place on this issue internally at the federal level and amongst external stakeholders. He concluded by offering, I think it would be valuable for the stakeholder organisations to not only continue the discussions they've had, but probably to expand the constituents with which they've had those conversations. Dr. Cromer makes a valid point, and this, in fact, to my mind, could be the biggest takeaway from their meeting. EMS change will only come about rapidly via the external political lobbying that is currently being delivered collaboratively by such organisations as AAA, NAMT, and the International Association of Fire Chiefs, and others. And perhaps the subliminal message delivered here is to keep up this good work, but step up the tempo and range of our legislative efforts. FICOMS only meets twice a year, and I dare say some people listening to this maybe haven't even heard of FICOMS before. So it's important to track the activities of the work of NHTSA, their Office of EMS, FICOMS and NEMSAC, another abbreviation, the National EMS Advisory Council, all sit at the national level of our profession and can advance ideas and initiative up into government. But we must also continue the twin and sometimes faster track of keeping up the external political pressure for the good and benefit of EMS. That's my take. I'd love to hear yours in the comments section of the column at ems1.com. So you can keep in touch with me by looking me up on Twitter at UKRobL or finding me on LinkedIn. I'm there. So that's all for now. Until next time, I've been Rob Lawrence. Bye for now.